Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast guide to the increasingly relevant pastime of punching Nazis. The first step is to study archaeology with the intention of being appointed to a tenured position at a respected university, and also going on adventures to steal ancient treasures and stuff. These exploits should build up your courage and make you more strong and sexy. Then, you'll be biding your time until you hear of a rare artifact of interest to both yourself and the Nazis. That should give you the perfect opportunity to go globetrotting and get into one or more ding-dongs with them. To get the full experience, Film Chat recommends a bar brawl in Nepal, and a punch-up on an airstrip in Cairo, at the very least. It's what I would be saying if this was a current affairs podcast. It's actually just a conversation between two men about films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a tall man with broad shoulders and a long reach with his arms. In other words, he has the perfect Nazi punching build. Danny Moran. Hello. Hello. It is massive fucking downer week on Film Chat. As we review a film about grief a film about depression, and another film about grief and depression. I don't know, I've not seen that one. First of all, I'll be reviewing Christine, a film about a woman who shot herself in the head. Then I'll review Jackie, a film about a woman whose husband was shot in the head. And then Sam will review Manchester by Sea, in which, actually, I don't know if anyone gets shot in the head in that. We'll just we'll listen to that and find out, I guess. Well, that would be a spoiler. True. Plus, we dissect all the Oscar nominations, try and predict the winners and losers, and try to get the hashtag Oscars still too white trending. All of which should leave me just enough time to perform my latest impression. Richard Gere playing King Lear. <laughs> Let's see it. Come not between a dragon and it's uh, rough. <laughs> it's many of the blinking. Yeah, that's the that's not it's a, a visual impression. It's a visual Tom Andrews has written in, uh, well, he actually wrote in in November 
um, or you can pose a message to us in November, but it somehow got lost in the tubes of the internet. And he didn't realize until recently and forwarded us this message. Uh, and so glad to finally get the opportunity to read it out. Absolutely. I'm sorry that it's so many months late. He says, Dear Film Chums, I'm a long-time listener, first-time corresponder, and I'm very excited to finally have a reason to write in and let you know. I've been living in Germany for over a year now. I like that he uses our catchphrase, by the way. Write in, let us know. Yeah. I didn't think that that was in any way an adequate or strong catchphrase. It is, though. But it's very loyal of him to to have used it. He's a true believer. He says, I've been living in, in Germany for over a year now, but only recently moved to a city big enough to show original language or English subtitled movies. However, there are some great cinemas here in Leipzig, and the city also hosts an annual festival of international documentaries and animation called DOK, which took place last weekend. I went to see a few films and thought I'd briefly share my experiences. And um, he goes on to describe, his message is a little too long to read out in full, but he goes on to describe a, uh, the favorite film that he saw there, which is called Hashtag Uploading Underscore Holocaust. And you can tell by the title that it's going to be both confronting and relevant. This is a film by a pair of Israeli filmmakers called Sagi Bornstein and Udi Nir. And Tom says the film documents the trip that many Israeli schoolchildren make to the former Nazi concentration camps in Poland, referred to as the Journey to Poland, which has become a kind of rite of passage to help young Israelis connect with their history and heritage. On these trips, the teachers and tour guides encourage the school kids to try to relive the experiences of the murdered Jews, to feel how they felt and thus gain a kind of authentic understanding of their suffering. The film shows how this deep understanding is built up by their teachers and parents as a crucial part of Israeli identity, and it also shows the frustration and disillusionment of the kids who inevitably feel unable to feel deeply enough. And what makes the film groundbreaking is that it is marks itself as the first film that's ever constructed entirely from YouTube clips. So there's no original footage in the movie. They have just trawled YouTube. Yeah. I watched the trailer for this, and it says that there are they've been making this trip for a long time, and that according to the filmmakers, there are 20,000 YouTube videos made by the kids and the teachers who have traveled from Israel to Poland to see this. So a lot of material for them to look through. But how much of that was just kids like, you know, goofing off? Well, probably a lot of it. But I think that's I kind that's of part, part of the, the story. Ah, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of part of the story. Um, well, this is what uh, Tom kind of discusses in his message. But it's it's interesting that it's like a nation's attempt to instill a particular kind of like cultural understanding in their youth and like how you do that and the difficulties of sort of forcing people to come to terms with an event of such magnitude when they have not known anything remotely comparable to it in their own lives. Right. Yeah, of course. And Tom says that it reminds him of his own experiences of traveling um, to Ypres in year 10 at school. And we had similar. Yeah, yeah. You know, things of going on school trips to you know sites of uh, well where do we go i actually went to i went to um auschwitz as well because i went to poland and we did eep and you sort of uh, confronted with great human tragedies uh, but you've just been sitting on a coach for two hours playing like advanced wars 2 on someone's game board <laughs> yeah exactly um you're 14 what do you're you know? 14 and it's like yeah exactly um and you have uh, no hand or, like no way of appreciating it really you're just like Boy, that sucks. Yeah. Sucks for the people in the past. Exactly. Um, uh, he also points out that it's kind of an interesting... The fact that it's all YouTube makes it an interesting portrayal of kids because it's all... Like, it's sort of created by kids and it's them, like, filming themselves and it's a different way of observing the behavior of teens. Yeah. I guess, and showing them in various different lights. Hasn't got that 
the word I am struggling to find, but you know the word when you your observer's behavior changed because it's being observed? Yeah, that sort of thing they have in quantum experiments. Yeah, <laughs> like the and, the Schrodinger's and, and nature thing. documentaries and stuff. I guess it removes that element from it. Yeah, so exactly. The kids aren't performing to adults. They're just, you know, free yeah to express yeah, themselves yeah. how they choose and it, it's a it's a new angle on youtube vlogging as well which isn't just like makeup tutorials or like you know skating videos or whatever kids love to whatever do. kids are into whatever sort of weird kids are into magic the gathering um yeah and uh tom recommends it um i tried to watch the movie because i wanted to be able to give a more full assessment but i couldn't i couldn't find <laughs> i couldn't find a way to watch it online hey you know what man I mean, we got press accredited for the London Film Festival. Yeah. We should email them You're as right. a British podcast You're and be like, right. we want to put on a screening. And then maybe we could do it through our screen. And do it through our screen. Yeah, that's an excellent idea. And we should do, definitely do that. Tom uh, ends his message saying, hope that some of that proves useful in your search for hashtag content. And thanks for all your top class podcasting. Much love from Leipzig, Tom Andrews. Love it. I like, I like when people praise us. A lot of people wrote in about La La Land. Film Chat has taken a stance which is antagonistic to the majority of film critics. We are out there tracing a blail of... Um, tracing right, a blail. Tracing a blail of anti-La La Land sentiment. It still has like 93% of Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. But I think it might be one of those uh, movies where a lot of people... There's been a lot of ch- sort of chatter about people who are disappointed in it. Mm. And uh, I think that goes to, you know show that we're on the side of good here we're on the right side of history we're, we're showing solidarity to those people who feel bullied by others who like the movie, you know, movie more until there's something wrong with them it's like no, no no it's nothing wrong with you guys the movie is at fault michael patrick writes in uh, with his views on la la land he agreed with us he says very much agree on la la land a clear sign Bam. of agreed with us uh he says what really got my goat was a lack of stakes in the film and his message is relatively spoilerific, so I will not read the whole thing, but he basically is saying that the film puts up a pretense that they are two struggling artists trying to make ends meet, but that kind of central cliche is resolved far too easily and in a way that it is unsatisfying. And he says, at the end, fuck that, that's not how following your dream works, that's the story of two of the luckiest sons of bitches to work in the entertainment industry, and I don't give a shit about that. I'm also definitely not bitter because I'm a struggling actor myself, not at all. And he says, and big shout out to Danny for giving me my first ever paid acting gig straight out of drama school. Yeah, but that was a very demeaning acting job I asked him to do. What, you, what was his role? It was... Uh, in shit a... muncher, number one. <laughs> in, a, in your film, The Shit Munchers. <laughs> Correct, Sam. <laughs> I'm glad you remember. Yeah. And I paid him one pound. You play a talking trowel. No, it was like The film is a... called The Bathroom Fitter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, no need to thank me. You did a great job. Yeah. the You know, the thanks is redundant. Uh, thank you for being in the film, yeah. Michael. And don't forget me when you're famous. My film is set in a post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> Most of the characters are stuck in barrels of toxic waste, um, including you. <laughs> Sounds like a Beckett play. It pays... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that play by Beckett? <laughs> are they stuck in barrels of toxic yeah. waste? Well, I don't know about toxic waste, but they're in barrels. Are they? Yeah. What's the play called? No, it's called Play. It's called Play? Yeah. Oh, okay. And there's a uh, film Ooh, of it. It's like I Beckett on film. Inadvertently as clever as Daniel Beckett? Daniel Beckett? 
Obviously. You know, the playwright Daniel Beckett. <laughs> well, I think you've just answered your own question. It is a resounding yes. <laughs> oh, God. Tim also got on the Lola Land back Lola Lash. I'm trying to make that work. I'm trying to make that thing. Band Wawawakin. Exactly. He has to say, have to say, Lola Land was a little disappointing. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. And there were sections where I just sat in the cinema with a smile on my face. Were you talking about the credits there, Tim? <laughs> However, it didn't swim me along effortlessly. It's not the modern classic that some seem to think. I think that Stone and Gosling's lack of technique did hurt the film. They were generally pretty good, but their dance sequences didn't have the same punch. Didn't astonish the way the best musicals do. Worst of all, though, the songs weren't that catchy. I can't really remember how the words to any of them go. Whether it's a classic 50s picture with Fred Astaire or a modern Disney cartoon, if people don't leave the film with one of the tunes stuck in their heads, then you've lost. I think this will be like the artist, good and loved upon release, but forgotten in a year's time. I think that's a good comparison. It's a very good comparison because they're both movies about how great Hollywood is kind of, you know, yeah. in a way that will appeal to the people within Hollywood who vote. Uh, I think the artist the is much better. It sort of knows what it is a bit more. Yeah, exactly. And it's more of a kind of out and out pastiche as well. Yeah. Like it's more of a clear sort of like relatively like airy exercise in fun, not kind of like love story for the ages kind of thing, whatever La La Land is trying to be. And Tim also highlights a couple of things that a few people have mentioned. Uh, we didn't really complain about the um, quality of the singing and dancing, but I've seen a few reviews who have been a bit like, you know, if you're going to pretend that you're seeing the rain or something like that, you gotta, you've got to have actual performers from musical theatre. And Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are kind of like, you know, doing their best. I don't know. It's a funny one. There's some movies that work quite well with that, like slightly amateurish. They're just going for it kind of thing yeah but there's the it's put but in the context of the yeah, super polished exactly in that context thing. it just kind of shows up and there's a there's a scene in it where they um you know that kind of uh waste of a lovely night scene with this yeah like, he swings around a lamppost and they use some tap dancing and it's a bit like that's a real school play moment you know yeah it's like i get it they're doing their best but it just feels off because they're not professional dancers um jazz deep has sent us in a message he also wants to talk about la la land he says, at first, I disagreed with your review. What? But over the week, I realized that the film isn't as great as I first thought. This is fantastic, This is Danny. great. Did we change his mind? I love it. It's the dream. You affect someone's views. Um, it charms me, but I have a few issues with it. In the latest Empire podcast, Helen O'Hara describes Mia as a glorified manic pixie dream girl. That's the Emma Stone character. Mia hardly has any flaws, but Gosling's Seb has loads. The film concentrates on Gosling too much and fails to be a two-hander. I agree. Mark Kermo describes Emma Stone's performance as Brando-esque, but she isn't given enough moments to show her character's inner torment and sadness. In general, the film lacks psychological insight. The only way Gosling's angst is shown is by the way his hair gets messy and his blank stares. Very true. That's a fair point. <laughs> you get went like you know, you know that the film is serious fuck. when he's got like the sexy messy hair. Yeah, it's sexy as hell. So characterization was one ma major issue I had with it. Other issues I have are one, I have already forgotten the songs similar to Tim. Two, it's too on the nose when it references old films, such as when he just points out where Casablanca was filmed, for example. <laughs> However, he says it is a beautiful film. Sam Foster, he's talking, he's talking about me. Sam Foster argues it would make a good screensaver. I agree. Anyway, I hope it doesn't dominate the Oscars. But am I wrong to say that? Is a hollow film a bad film? If a film prefers style over substance, is it empty? Well, not necessarily, but if it, the style is not in service of anything... Like, yeah. like the raid is all style but it's fucking awesome exactly yeah I think the problem with La La Land is not so much that it's style over substance 
but that it is pretending to have substance that it does not have. Yeah. And also that what values it does have are like very kind of shallow and materialistic and irritating. <sighs> I mean, I don't know how Lolan is going to survive off of this grilling we've just given it from all our correspondents. Yeah, I think... <sighs> well, there's, there's something name. like... there's. I don't know, 4,000 Oscar voters or something like that. I believe 3,000 of them listen to Film Chat. Yeah. So, so I think... Out of those nominations, I think they're going to get zero of them. Yeah. Joe McCormick is the one dissenting voice on the Film Chat page. He's more in tune with the uh, general critical consensus. He says, This La La Land review is about as accurate as a Trump press conference. Why all the Chazelle hate? Because we also didn't like Whiplash that much. Oh, yeah, it's true. Well, I have to say, I'm delighted to have Joe's voice, you know, yeah, because we seem to disagree on every film. And, like, I think that it's a real compliment that he continued to listen when he must just be in a state of, like, <laughs> complete disgust every time he listens to the reviews. Like, what are these idiots talking true. about? That's totally wrong. Well, you know, the rest of the world agrees with you, Joe. But, you know, people vote for the Nazis and bought Coldplay, as Superhands once said in Peep Show. I'm not Pe calling you a Nazi Coldplay lover, but just saying there's a comparison to be made there i'm just saying there's a comparison it's open it's open no you could make it i'm not saying it's valid but i'm just saying it if you could be drawn and what's with the dig at trump what a great guy what a great guy what a fantastic he's making guy. america great again yeah i was one of the seven billion people there as, as inauguration what you? But the media just didn't take a photo of me we were all there weren't we yeah i was there i couldn't see i couldn't see for people yeah. But apparently, turn on the news, nobody there. It was the largest human body gathering that the world has ever seen, or will see. But according to the bloody fake news. Fucking mainstream not. media. <sighs> Shameful. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tips, Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. Yeah, I mean, this is the part of the podcast where we have the obligatory, uh, you know, what is the Oscars saying? There's a few things I thought were quite interesting. I what, like are they, how, what are they saying? Tell me what they're saying. Well, that La La Land is in the lead with 40 nominations. It's, it's, got, got, it's the, got equal the most nominations ever, ever, right? But there's a few things I found quite interesting. First of all is that Michael Shannon and Jeff Bridges are both nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but they're playing the same sort of character of like gruff texan oh, sheriff right. yeah so it'd be interesting to just see on the clip night like what clips are gonna are they gonna show and they're just gonna look like the exact I same mean movie. like nocturnal animals and <laughs> hell or high water yeah. yeah that's true that's true there's a few jackie didn't get much love it got a best picture nod and that's about it and natalie portman but aside from that uh not that much going on which yeah i thought is strange given it's been pretty universally loved. And um, Amy Adams, people were expecting, would get a nod in uh, for Best Actress for either Arrival or Nocturnal Animals. She did not get either one. Got snubbed. She got snubbed, and she has had five Oscar nominations before, never won. Now she's not even getting the noms. What's, What's going on? What's going on? What does poor Amy Adams have to do to get an Oscar? And she's like... Isn't it her time? Yeah, people have, I've seen a few comments that this is the kind of, uh, a DiCaprio-esque narrative is building up that she just, like, deserves one through, like, the accumulation of a body of work where she hasn't been recognized with an Oscar. And uh, that, you know, may, may, may well be the case. And I hope that she gets it for a better role than DiCaprio's won The Revenant. 
maybe like the next thing she'll pick up she's like i've got to get an oscar now someone yeah. find me a film where i've got to dive into a, a freezing river and then eat a living bison from the inside out or something <laughs> like i've got to do the most craziest shit i've got to like gain a hundred pounds and then like climb mount everest and live off the shrubs and like <laughs> like tiny bits of grass and rocks that i can find up there is anybody for, filming this for weeks or? on end until i've returned to my previous weight <laughs> and then, then i come back down <laughs> that sounds like a hell of a movie <laughs> what an arc <laughs> yeah it's called everest 2 it's a sequel to the other film about everest that came out recently so yeah so the best picture norms there's nine of them this year i don't know how they decide like well how many it's like it can be up to 10 it can be up to 10 but so it's I, between 5 and 10 but I would say that the best picture nods many of them won't get much awards on the night and they're just almost like a sort of token thrown in there to say the Academy recognizes, recognizes you as well you. and I think that's a way for them to negate the Oscars so white thing as well because films like Fences and Hidden Figures have been praised for their acting but not necessarily as an overall best picture but they'll just sort of give it a nomination just to, you know... Put some diversity uh, in there. It put some diversity yeah, into the nominees. I think, yeah, I think that's, there's definitely some truth to that. Um, Hidden Figures and Fences are both movies that are not out in the UK yet. Um, I think Fences is out on like the 10th of February and Hidden Figures out on the 17th. And uh, they're both very black-focused movies. Hidden Figures in particular sounds like quite an Oscar-y type movie about the black women mathematicians who helped NASA like when NASA was starting yeah sounds uh, awesome. which sounds awesome and um yeah it got it got a very good reception but hasn't had the same kind of buzz as other things and like it does seem like a bit of a cheat in a way if everyone white still ends up winning but it's like well you can't say we're not diverse yeah. octavia spencer had a one of the five categories in the nominations so yeah absolutely yeah um but having said that they have made some real changes since last year uh they added a lot new a lot of new voters to the academy's roles um like hundreds and i think a lot of them are people of color so uh they've added some real racial diversity to the people voting for the movies so yeah hopefully overall it will um things will improve but obviously a lot of it depends on like just like structural problems in hollywood to do with like the making of these films yeah um more oscar norm stuff as these movies come out and we watch them hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Absolutely. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it oscar-jingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off so, Christine, this is yet another film I saw at London Film Festival, but I'm glad I saw it so many months ago. There's a lot to unpack. It is directed by Antonio Campos, who is a up-and-coming, hot-as-shit director. He previously made Simon Killer and After School, both excellent indie films worth seeking out if you haven't seen them and it is written by craig shillowich based on the true story of christine chubbuck who was a 29 year old tv reporter from sarasota who committed suicide live on air in 1974 
and the film dramatizes the last uh, tenish days building up to her suicide and these days involve her butting heads with the station boss michael played by tracy letts who wants juicier stories that will produce higher ratings while this is going on she's also harboring a crush on the handsome lead anchor george played by michael c hall and she's also chasing a promotion to the baltimore wing of the tv station and while this is all going on she's also battling with her own personal and mental health problems and here is a clip of christine played by rebecca hall analyzing one of the interviews uh, she's done with her protege jean played by maria dizier before her boss comes in to inform them about a meeting or at least put it to vote because while we wait there are kids who are suffering the there right there stop stop you that you don't think that's uh oh Force? No, no, it's fine. You're listening to them. Have you noticed that Gail has been putting fake flowers on the table? Oh, yeah. My gas are too. Wait. Oh, they're like silk or something. How's our new very expensive quad look? Uh, don't know yet. It's still in the box. Let me know when you get it up and running. If it doesn't work, I'm not paying for it. Ladies, team meeting, five minutes. Copy five. I mean it. I mean it. Five minutes, ladies. <laughs> So this is a very strange film, which is hard to wrap your head around. And I think uh, generally I really enjoyed it. And I think it's a very admirable attempt to tackle this subject matter. And there are some really strong elements to it. But there are also a couple of creative decisions that undermine some of the good work it does. And a biopic about somebody who's committed suicide, I think, in a way, can't help but be something of an autopsy. Because you view the entire film through the context of this person's going to commit suicide. So every thing that happens to her, you kind of view as just another reason or a possible factor in yeah. her deciding to take her life. And this film has like this dilemma. The, the vending machine doesn't work, whatever. And you're like, <laughs> that was, that's probably it. Well, Final you know, straw. once you put it into that context, everything becomes loaded. Yeah. And this film has a dilemma of trying to show all the things going on in her life and that may have contributed to her decision to kill herself, but also put all these things into a narrative in a way that isn't reductive or simplistic. And for the most part, it succeeds. And it does a really good job of conjuring the period. When uh, with period films, sometimes you feel that no matter how authentic the production values are, they're just modern actors with more facial hair in garish sets. And it's a bit more... There's more to capturing a period than just a production design and i think it does a really good job of just the whole rhythm of the piece has this atmosphere about it which seems authentic i say this as someone who was born 16 years after the events of these films but uh it feels very offensive and it's a very well-crafted film and i'm a big fan of the director and his previous films have had similar moods and he's got a real talent for conjuring atmosphere and tension and in Christine, that style he's developed over his previous two films is a little more dialed down. And he knows that the subject matter is dread-filled enough that he doesn't really need to rely on camera pyrotechnics or anything to create this sort of mise-en-scene the film naturally has. But it is very smartly put together, and some of the individual scenes are really excellent. There's some a good centerpiece argument scene which just keeps on going and was super thrilling. You've got to have one of those. Absolutely. And he does strike a nice balance between naturalism and formalism in his camera movement. And he gets really excellent performances from his cast. Michael C. Hall is kind of brilliant as this kind of completely clueless anchorman who you think is smart, but is actually just the sort of jock from school who didn't get into the football squad. Yeah. It's just sort of handsome. And Tracy Letts, who is also the 
um, writer of uh, Orange Osage County and um, oh yeah, August. Oh, that's August the one. Osage yeah, County, yeah, he's yeah. a playwright as well, but he's excellent. And one of the downsides of the script is that it's so focused on Christine that the supporting characters are a little sketchily drawn, and there's a certain uh, network esque uh, satire element to the film. And Tracy Letts actually has to say lines like "If it bleeds, it leads" and sort of yell the subjects at you at times. But the performances go a long way to compensating some slightly heavy-handed dialogue. But the whole thing hangs together because Rebecca Hall is amazing in it. And she is fully inhabiting the role in a way that almost negates any problem the film has. And she's kind of mesmerizing. And there's something so tragic and compelling about this incredibly awkward person who can't really succeed in the job she's chosen where she's like a human interest story journalist who can't connect with people. And there's these scenes of her trying to sort of calibrate her personality to be more amenable and failing, which is, uh, it's like a, it's a crass analogy, but it's like a car crash in slow motion, this movie, like, and that is morbidly compelling. But all these performances, I think, uh, and they're not undone slightly, but there's a couple of moments in the film which... Are a little reductive and there's a scene which I won't spoil but basically uh, there's a bit of an exposition dump in a way which is unwelcome and the very ending of the film kind of invites you to read the film in a certain way which I think is a mistake because and this might be a bit of an odd comparison but it reminded me of the film Elephant the Gus Van Sant movie where it's about these shoot um School, school shootings, shootings. Yeah. and they have like loads of different bits of the movies there's a bit where they're playing video games there's a bit of bullying there's like it's all like daily life but it doesn't really point the blame at any one aspect and it'd be like that movie ending with some kids playing counter-strike it'd be so like making like, a point there you are yeah and this movie ends with a certain scene which feels like uh, a misjudged sort of nod to the audience to watch it in a certain way but these are just like two aspects of otherwise very well put together movie and i'd say it's definitely worth seeking out it's i don't know it's a hard movie to recommend because it's a very engrossing way of watching it but it also makes you filled with dread and i'm not sure if i enjoyed the film but i was sort of entertained yeah. and i liked the process of unpicking it afterwards does the film tell you up front that she kills herself or is that just contextual knowledge you're expected to have going in oh no the film like yeah you could potentially go and watch this film and not know and not know right okay it's interesting because the way that suicide is handled in movies i think is often pretty bad um, and in fictional movies, suicide is used too often as a uh, way to tie up narrative loose ends and the narrative convenience of it kind of sullies the uh, horrible tragedy and of, of the act itself. Yeah. Um, and so doing a movie about someone's actual suicide is kind of different because it's built in to the story from the beginning and instead you've got you know, kind of responsibility to portray it in a, in a rounded way. Yeah, I would say basically whatever flaws the script has and perhaps being a little reductive in the reasons is sort of mitigated by Rebecca Hall's performance right. who gives it a lot of humanity. And by the end, even though you know she's going to do it, you're hoping that, I don't know, it just won't happen. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so acting, so yes. So acting, so yes. So, <laughs> so acting, so yes. That's a poster quote. Looks like Sam's got a film to review, he's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you, that I hope are gonna help you out. You 
gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much, and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. I went to see another very serious film, and I was really up for a serious movie after La La Land. I was like, I've had enough of this popcorn... Superficial bullshit. Superficial candy bullshit. I want some chewy, like, gristly, meaty, nourishing stuff. Um, so Manchester by the Sea is written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan or Lonergan. It's his third film after a couple of uh, movies that got some buzz but went terribly widely seen uh, over a very long period of time. A movie called You Can Count on Me from like 2000. And then another movie called Margaret, which um, he shot in 2005 and then was embroiled in loads of legal issues over the cutting of it and uh, disputes with the studio. Eventually came out in 2011 and got a pretty good critical reception, but uh, nobody saw it, basically. Um, and then on the back of that, um, he's been uh, trying to get Manchester by the Sea made for a little while. Originally, he was going to star Matt Damon um, and John Krasinski. And that, and that didn't work out for whatever reason. And Casey Affleck stepped in uh, to take the starring role. And this is kind of uh, now, you know, in his the narrative of his career, this is now Kenneth Lonergan's moment uh, because everybody loves this movie. Um, Casey Affleck's performance has been very widely heralded, as has that of Lucas Hedges, uh, who's this young 20-year-old actor. Uh, the plot is that uh, Casey Affleck plays a guy called Lee, uh, Lee Chandler, who's a janitor living in Boston. He's got eking out a bit of a grim existence with the people in his uh, he's like a residential uh, janitor for a particular building and like the people there don't treat him that well and he gets into bar fights in the evenings and then he receives news uh, that his brother has fallen ill and he has to travel to his hometown of Manchester which is apparently near to Boston um, and when he gets there he ends up having to look after his brother's son uh, his nephew called Patrick who's played by Lucas Hedges um and he also carries with him a dark past oh my god that you know adds extra tension and he has to kind of wrestle with um his past and re-encountering all these people who he left behind when he left manchester here's a clip of lee and patrick bickering we're not gonna be here that much longer i'm not moving to boston uncle lee no i don't want to talk about that you said he left you money so you could move yeah that doesn't anyway what's in boston you're a janitor so what? You could do that anywhere. There's plenty of toilets and clogged up drains all over town. I don't want to. All talk my friends are here. I'm on the hockey team. I'm on the basketball team. I gotta maintain our boat now. I work on George's boat two days a week. I got two girlfriends and I'm in a band. You're a Janet and Quincy. What the hell do you care where you live? So I thought it was excellent. It's very good. It was nourishing dramatically in exactly the way, you know, that I wanted. Um, excellent. A, a, and a film that feels incredibly honest and true to life and psychologically real so uh in many ways uh, a good thing to see after watching little land the outline of the plot the kind of basic setup of it where there's like a dour guy with a dark past and he like goes back to his hometown and um everyone treats him a bit weird and he can't connect with people it kind of sounds a little corny like or certainly that it has the potential to be corny it's a bit of a sort of everyday tv weepy style thing but it was almost turned into an advantage by the director because that creates certain expectations which he is then able to do subvert and it gives him an opportunity to portray the kinds of relationships that you've seen done in millions of times in like the same kind of way in a very fresh and real seeming way the story is very well told it's kind of a long movie but it doesn't feel like insanely long i sort of thought it was like mega long but it's like it's over two hours but 
it just kind of takes its time and it feels like it is about the right length. And the thing that I thought made the drama of the movie so interesting is that it's got this real fixation on the minutiae of life, but also the way in which the challenges that you have personally are reflected in basically every aspect of your day and of your waking life. And so, like, a lot of, like, naturalistic dramas are about little things, mm. you know, like, yeah. little quiet dramas where people are in small towns and they just, like, mumble to each other across a table. Like, those movies are inherently always about, like, like little observations and stuff. But the, the thing that's so skillful about this film is how it creates so much drama out of that and also a surprising amount of comedy. Um, there's it's, it's, like, pretty funny, like, in, in parts, especially... The relationship between Casey Affleck's character and Lucas Hedges' character. They have some good sort of comedy bickering and stuff. But basically the kind of... What I felt like the movie was about is the way in which people carry suffering and how you are constantly processing the conflict within yourself and managing it in order to produce an exterior which is like a coherent, normal person. And what makes the film so gripping from scene to scene is the way in which Casey Affleck is obviously a guy with issues or whatever, but it, that he is constantly thinking about his reply to things and making all these decisions in his mind about, like, uh, he's just in a sense dealing with his mental state and you can see this process going on that is then, like, produces his, like, very, you know, low-key remarks. But there's always something happening. You right, know? okay. I think it's both sort of dramatically interesting because that there's, there's a kind of um like constant perpetual motion sense to it but but also quite true to life i think because a lot of movies portray development or like dramatic development as a kind of question of personal growth where you just sort of show the problems that a character has and then there's like three different things that happen to them and then as a result they learn a lesson and they kind of move on yeah but the way in which i think it's the way this movie does it is more true to how to human nature which is that if you are carrying a burden or if you have particular concerns that are like on your mind, you know, that rather than just throwing up a kind of branching path where it's like, do we need to take this big decision or that big decision, that you actually are making constant little decisions all the time and that it informs everything that you do. Yeah. And it's like ongoing and seeing these characters navigate these hurdles continually is very interesting and is like really, really well done. It's a very, like, thoughtful and considered film and very thoughtful and considering characters. And I think it overcomes the uh, potential cliches of the, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a miserable guy because yeah. something bad happened to me or the kid who is, like, a bit too precocious but he's actually sad or whatever. Um, it just makes all that stuff feel really real. Um, and the performances are, like, as good as you heard, you know. I knew everybody would like to hate Casey Affleck in this movie because there have been all these um, accusations around uh, his like passive sexual assault and um, the lawsuits have taken out against him by people who have worked on his movies. And, I mean, if people are like, I want to see this movie because of that, then I think that's like completely reasonable. But purely within the context of the film, his performance is very, very good. Um, and Lucas Hedges is only 20 years old and hopefully hasn't had time to develop his like dark past of sexually abusing <laughs> his co-stars. Um, so we can hopefully just uh, appreciate him um, without any problematic aspects. Um, and the supporting cast are also very, very good. Michelle Williams is in it. And she doesn't. She only has about three scenes, really. Uh, but she's doing something very different in all of them. And she absolutely kills it. I love Michelle Williams. She crushes it. She crushes it. 
she always like brings her absolute a game to everything and she just turns up in this movie as though she's been filming a, her own film about herself yeah. you know <laughs> and so when she has like a climactic scene it's like in a separate film it was all building to this yeah, yeah, yeah. and but she's obviously she didn't have that many lines so she just turned up on the day and just does it and it's like excellent she's absolutely brilliant in it if i was going to nitpick there Please are do. a couple of um a couple of the supporting characters are a little more broadly drawn i think because everything else feels so heartfelt and naturalistic it stands out a little bit and matthew broderick is in the film for some reason and he is um plays some one half reason some, why is broderick in the bueller <laughs> bueller what are you doing he's got like quite a minor role and uh, he's one half of a couple of like squeaky clean like boring sort of shirt and sweater type uh, very christian people Nerds. i feel like these people crop up in movies all the time because like artists and directors don't like them yeah you yeah. don't need a shorthand for like boring people it's like they love jesus they serve boring bland foods and they don't have any sense of humor you know yeah so this sort of thing where you can tell who they are immediately on seeing them where it's not true to the other characters in the movie um, but it only stands out because everything else feels so authentic um and the score is also not particularly notable and is like very on the nose it's like in a few scenes he doesn't use it all the way through it's not overscored there's just a few scenes where it's like he's basically gone on youtube and typed in like sad strings and just the first thing that came up he's used in the film so it doesn't feel like the most you know like as much care was necessarily put into the soundtrack as like the other aspects of the movie uh but it didn't particularly bother me it just wasn't something that stood out um as being as good as everything else uh so yeah i really i really recommend it it's very touching i found it emotional you cry um I cried a little bit. Uh, yeah, it you know it worked on me, um, and you should go see it. Cool, it's very well mounted, beautifully acted, very nuanced, and uh, goes small rather than goes big in a way that is very dramatically successful. Cool, I'm gonna check it out. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. I saw another film about a woman whose title was The Woman's Name about a <laughs> your horrible favorite, event. Your favorite kind my, of film. My favorite kind of genre. This is Jackie. This is directed by Pablo Lorraine. And it is the story of Jackie Kennedy, played by Natalie Portman, in the days after the assassination of JFK. And the film starts with this journalist played by Billy Crudup, who comes to interview her a week after the funeral. And the interview is intercut with flashbacks of the day in question and also the events such as the swearing in of Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, the funeral arrangements, as well as events prior to the assassination. And here is a clip of a bit of the interview where they discuss uh, fame. Most writers want to be famous. You want to be famous? No, I am fine as I am. Thank you. You should prepare yourself. This article will bring you a great deal of attention. Oh, in that case, any advice for me? Yes. Don't marry the president. <laughs> Are you afraid I'm about to cry again? No, I, I say you're more likely to scream. Scream what? My husband was a great man. So I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really inventive take on what is a biopic, which is probably the least inventive genre ever invented somehow everyone's stories become compacted into the same boring trajectory and rather than taking the facts of someone's life and awkwardly putting into an a to b narrative it's a much more impressionistic film and key to this is the structure and though the idea of a film based around interview is nothing new 
it sort of abandons this or either it just obeys it very loosely. So it cuts back and forth from right off the assassination to a few days later to the day before to the moments after to a TV tour she did at the White House a year before. And the result is not disorientating, but quite uh, woozy. I don't know what the word would be. But I think what it does is effectively give you the sense of being in the center of this weird maelstrom. And as best as it can, it kind of puts you in her headspace. What it must have been like to be the center of attention in this century-defining event. And key to this very particular kind of strangeness is the score by Mika Levy, her second score after Under the Skin, and I lack the proper musical vocabulary to describe what is going on in the score, but it is just awesome. It's a similar sort of unconventional soundscapes that are really evocative. And I think she is replacing Johnny Greenwood as your go-to, I'm going to play a viola with a chair and create this awesome sound, which will somehow embody everything you're trying to achieve in this scene, musician. It's absolutely brilliant. The direction is also really excellent. It's pretty much 70% of close-ups of Natalie Portman's face. That is most of the movie. Uh, but this approach really works. It works partly because it's very cool to see all these iconic, infamous moments in history from her perspective. And like the footage of the assassination is probably one of the most played historical footage ever. But just by having it from her perspective puts a fresh spin on it. And it's uh, cool to find the sort of human center in all these huge seismic events which could potentially overwhelm the picture. And there's also something a little bit forensic about the camera it's almost like it's studying her face all the time to see the mask slip and that kind of works because the story is about jackie kennedy the icon and the real person and i was looking at some reviews for this and you know when you find a review which like perfectly nails and you're like damn i wish i thought of that absolutely well uh danny lee who's the critic on the bbc film 2017 made this good point that there's something inherently contradictory about the idea of jackie kennedy because the image of her is like her in that sort of pink flannel suit on the day of the assassination. And then an image of her wearing the same suit covered in her husband's blood. It's like the epitome of composed political wife and this probably the most vulnerable you've ever seen a political figure ever. And the film is full of these contradictions and the sort of weird structure riffs on this. So you see her with this very composed, constantly editing this interview with this journalist. And you see her being very honest to her priest and she's both sort of you see her completely distraught then numb then dignified then kind of falling apart and then keeping it all together and natalie portman i think is really excellent in this i've read a few reviews that have been a bit down on her performance but i think she's really well cast because there is something a little bit bristle about her as a performer i think that's why she's good in black swan as well i think she's good at playing people who perform in a way and yeah. jackie kennedy is kind of like the proto first lady like the idea of a like her entire dress sense is sort of what is now like the uniform for first ladies. You know, she's the uh, a modern icon in that sense, um, and she does a really good job of. Uh, how do I put this? Like, I think it's always a cliche to say like there's the icon and there's the real woman, but I think the film is saying they're both the same person. It's not you know, people are just different how they interact with different people, and it's not yeah. like I am now fake Jackie Kennedy. Jackie Kennedy for the camera. Now I am real Jackie Kennedy crying. They're both all authentic as each other. And I think that's part of the um, cleverness of the structure. And also, it's only an hour and 40 minutes. Refreshingly tight nice. script. And it all sort of comes together. And it's a very 
odd film like i kind of watched it kind of like i think maybe it's similar to under the skin maybe it's just the music it kind of like kind of washes over you this movie and then afterwards i was like yeah and then as i sort of left the cinema all this stuff kind of unpacked in my head i thought it was really clever how it kind of compacted all the information into a very accessible chunk and then sort of unfolded in the hours afterwards and my mum really liked it i saw this with my mum this is the only film i seen with my mum i wanted to see and it was good great So, outside the world of movies, news is going at a ridiculous pace still, has not let up. Every day, new calamities are occurring. But one of the few things that brought some joy into the world was that on the day of Donald Trump's inauguration, the famous uh, white supremacist neo-Nazi Richard Spencer, the man who coined the term alt-right, was punched in the face during a television interview Brilliant. Really with Australia's ABC News. He's speaking to someone, uh, and he starts defending himself against accusations of being a Nazi, not very convincingly. Um, <laughs> and then he's asked what his Pepe the Frog badge indicates, and he starts explaining that. Someone comes up, smacks him in the face, and runs off. So we were all enjoying that. We watched like 8 million remixes of various different tracks, including like the EastEnders theme tune and like all sorts of things. Born in the USA. Normally entertaining. Uh, so Nazi punching it's back and uh, it's not the last we heard of it there was like images that emerged today of another time Richard Spencer was punched on the same day incredible we didn't even like there's no video of it but there's some pictures of it and here comes the cinema relevance Shia LaBeouf also good on the action so Shia is it Shia or Shia it's Shia Shia. Isn't it? Shia is now more of an artiste than he is an actor Absolutely. and he has a new thing Obviously, the way he's, he doesn't approve of Trump, obviously. No, no. And obviously, the way he's going to react is with performance art. Absolutely. And he's got a new hashtag. The hashtag is, he will not divide us. He will not divide us. And he is going to spend the next four years or eight years, if Trump gets reelected, outside a museum and there's a camera and you say, he will not divide us into the camera and it's all recorded. It's a live feed. It's a live feed. So you go on the internet and you're just looking at people saying he will not divide us into a camera set up by Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, if that can't take down Trump, I don't know what could. But Shia was arrested interrupting his performance art um, for an incident in which, I don't know the exact details, but as far as I can gather, uh, someone came up to him and said Hitler did nothing wrong. Shia objected to that take on you know, that particular bit of historical revisionism. Hard to defend that point of view. Hard to indeed. And shoved him or something. Didn't Whoa. seem like he did anything too violent. Uh, and then was later arrested. Which I think is unfair. Yeah. You shouldn't be allowed to say that. And Shia, should be allowed, Shia LaBeouf should be allowed to punch you. Yeah, okay? he, he was trying to incite a riot, right? This guy yeah, he's trying to pick birth. Yeah. With Shia. And, uh, trying to pick birth with LaBeouf? Pick, pick some birth. So I think he was well within his rights and it's a bit of an outrage. And uh, joining us now to discuss this exact question is... Um, artist Shia LaBeouf. Shia, thank you for um, thank you for speaking to us. Um, could you tell us in your own words what happened? He will not divide us. Okay. Okay. Got it. I mean, yeah, yeah. totally on board with that message. Very important. Just wondering, what were the events that led to your arrest? He will 
okay. So you like how are you feeling now? Like uh are you are you pissed off about the way you were treated? He will not I get it. On brand. On brand. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Well, you know, he's not gonna stop changing what he's saying for us. No, that's would, part of his it performance. It would demean the it? entire thing entirely. Yeah. What did you have for breakfast this morning? He will not Fair enough. Can't be swayed. Um, all right, I have new questions about Trump. Uh, what is your take on uh, whether he's going to divide us or not? He will not divide us! Ah, obviously. No. Obviously. I should have known that. Redundant All right, fair question. enough, Shia. Look, uh, we're going to let you go. Um, it, we really appreciated um, hearing from you. It's a very important message to get out there. You've only really said that one sentence, but, you know, it was still a uh, privilege. Powerful. And uh, just one, uh, one final question. Um, I'm not quite sure about the morality of punching Nazis. I personally embrace nonviolence. I don't believe in practicing violence. I find the violence inherently Nazi. And uh, won't you just become a Nazi if you punch a Nazi? Yeah, I think um, that's a Nietzsche quote. I think that is a Nietzsche quote. If you punch the abyss, you become an abyss. Yeah. Um, you have to watch the abyss all the time. you got to watch that abyss. Uh, the, the James Cameron movie. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch the abyss, you become the abyss. Yeah, the film. Yeah. yeah. That's why I never watched it. Yeah, so basically, because I practice, I'm a bit of a Gandhi type. I believe in non-violence. I've often said that about you. Yeah, quite Gandhi, quite Gandhi-esque. Um, and... Uh, so I was just wondering if you like sympathize with me and how would you feel if I was in a situation where there was a Nazi around and I had boxing gloves on and he was saying some real objectionable stuff. Like, what do I do in that situation? Like, do I punch him? Do it! Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I guess that's, I guess that's resolved that. Awesome. All right. Speak to you later. Bye. Bye. What a nice man. What a lovely man. Lovely young man. And I hope he does well. Me too. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We will be back next week where we'll be reviewing Trainspotting 2, T2, and also Tony Erdman, a German comedy. German comedy? What? 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 I hear it's great. In fact, I've seen it. It is great. I've heard it's great from myself. From when myself. I left the screening and I said out loud, that was great. Yeah. So we'll see Join you then. then. Yeah. Bye. 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 Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.